Is the investigation into Cuyahoga County government getting further off the rails? That's one of the questions lingering from the news this week that we address in this bonus episode of This Week in the CLE from Cleveland.com. Our regular episodes feature the reporters and editors of Cleveland.com analyzing the week's news. In these bonus episodes, we identify the unanswered questions about the big news stories. I'm your host, Cleveland.com editor Chris Quinn. The top question from the news this week is what do we have when we cut through the smoke of the most recent court filing involving Attorney General Dave Yost's long-running, largely unproductive investigation of Cuyahoga County government? The answer seems to be not much, but it might take a few more days or weeks to know for sure. Yost's prosecutors filed a document this week to emphasize that a county budget official who was fired late last year had sent an email to County Executive Armand Budish in April 2018 warning of critical staff shortages at the jail before the first of eight people died there that year. That sounds like a bombshell, but public records released long ago show Armand Budish in April 2018 committed $400,000 to solving that critical staff shortage. County officials dealt with the budget director's memo promptly. We're still waiting for some records to identify the full timeline, but the latest filing is not revelatory. It almost seems designed to kick up more dust to cloud what people know. The lingering question about this investigation is when is Dave Yost going to either put up the goods with charges or shut this expensive probe down? After this much time, do these prosecutors have any evidence whatsoever of the crimes that they imagine occurred? Here's a question about the continuing and hard-to-fathom prosecution by Attorney General Dave Yost of Cuyahoga County's human resources honcho, Douglas Dykes. When are Yost's prosecutors going to acknowledge that this feels more like a fishing expedition that is not catching anything? And here's another question. Should we read anything into the fact that the target of all this effort is the top-ranking African-American in county government? There's a reason that's a legitimate question, so stick with me here. This week, prosecutors filed documents accusing Dykes of participating in the firing of a county budget director who claims to be a whistleblower involving county dysfunction. Mind you, prosecutors did not charge Dykes with witness intimidation. They merely filed documents with allegations. But Dykes did not fire the budget director. Chief of Staff Bill Mason has taken sole credit for that. What prosecutors allege is that Dykes participated by informing the budget director's co-workers of her dismissal, a duty that is part of his job. If prosecutors were to file a charge against Dykes, how could they hope for a conviction with Bill Mason, the former county prosecutor, testifying that the firing was completely on him? As for whether race is playing a role in this prosecution, consider this. Last year, these same prosecutors went to another high-ranking official in county government and said they had the goods to charge him with a crime. Then they gave him a choice, resign or be charged. He resigned. What's the difference between that guy and Dykes? That guy is white. Dykes is African-American. Why the different treatment? 
Dykes has been indicted on a charge of felony theft because he gave a job recruit a cash bonus at the direction of his bosses. Dykes did not profit from the bonus, making this one odd case of theft. Yost prosecutors have been unable to provide a single similar case as a precedent. With Cleveland voters deciding March 17th whether to shrink city council, here's a question. What is the purpose and role of city council? Originally, a good century ago, Cleveland had 33 council members. Their role was to be the conduit to city government, the people that residents always could reach to address a problem. After several rounds of shrinking over the decades, the council now stands at 17, and voters will decide whether to reduce that number to nine. In most cities with a council form of government, the councilors are the board of directors. They set budget and policies, which are then carried out by the mayor and city workers. If Clevelanders want a council to operate that way, then voting to reduce the council to nine members makes some sense. But if voters want the role that was the original intent of this government's founders, council members who are the government contact point for residents, then shrinking that council is a mistake. Fewer council members would mean less time for each resident. So far, this ballot question has been cast as a numbers game, but the real question to answer is, what do residents want their council to be? With all of the people in governments lining up to take their pound of flesh from the companies that caused the opioid crisis, the question is whether the claims will push the companies into bankruptcy before everyone is made whole. We've talked for several years now about how cities, counties, and states have sued the drug makers and pharmacies, with Cuyahoga and Summit counties being among the first to take home big settlements just last year. The latest news is that people caring for babies born to opioid addicts want class action status from a federal judge in Cleveland. They want money to care for those babies for the long term, which will be quite expensive. Already, 2,000 have joined together to form this class, with more seeking to be part of it. Efforts to settle all of the cases that the governments have brought with one big cash award continue, but if the guardians of the children get their way, they will be next in line. Who else might seek damages? The families of people who died of overdoses? We should have an answer soon on whether the guardians of the babies will get to join together. Here's a question for everyone who drives. Is the Ohio Department of Transportation one of the most wasteful branches in all of government? We learned this week that if ODOT stopped hiring contractors to inspect roads and did it on its own, it could save taxpayers 10 to $21 million a year. That comes from an audit that the legislature ordered up after voting for a giant leap in our gas taxes last year. ODOT could save another 450000 by reducing the use of consultants for IT work, and the agency should not sell its fleet and start leasing as it wants to because that would cost us all as much as $42 million more a year. The audit could not identify all of the potential savings because ODOT keeps such terrible records. If it kept better records, it might find ways to more efficiently use its equipment. More savings should be identified later this year when a second phase of the audit is released. That one focuses on construction and maintenance planning. What's the lingering question here? Well, it's whether ODOT will take the steps identified to save us all this money. 
Thanks for listening to this bonus episode of This Week in the CLE. If you missed it, our regular episode published Thursday with fascinating conversations about whether juvenile court and failing to rehabilitate children when they commit minor crimes is to blame for the explosion of youth violence by children who have been in the juvenile court system for years. And we talked about whether shrinking city council would actually subvert the longtime purpose of having a council to serve the residents. We'll be back with another bonus episode next week.